Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Let's pick up in verse 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, here's what they did. Verse 6. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. All right, so here's what we have. Letter number one. Ahasuerus. Probably misspelled his name, but that's okay. You get the, you get the point. So they send letter number one to Ahasuerus. They get no response. He does not reply. Now, again, if you read the commentaries, now I, I want you to read this. All right. So let's read verse six. And in the reign of Ahasuerus. Okay. Now, who's reigning? Ahasuerus. Let's look at this. Again, we want to look at the facts, right? And then let that determine whether we can believe someone's theory or not. Okay? In in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of who? Judah and... Okay, so the, the, the accusation is against Judah and... Jerusalem. All right, now, verse 7. And in the days of Artaxerxes, wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, uh, Tabil, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of their letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. This is what the commentators will tell you. And they say this like they mean it, they're not joking. (laughs) They will say, Ahasuerus in verse 6 and Artaxerxes in verse 7 are the same person. It was the same letter. How do you come to that conclusion? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. We're talking two different days in the reign of Ahasuerus and in the days of Artaxerxes. Two different names, completely different. Now, this is where they get around it. They say... They say Cyrus, Darius, Ahasuerus, Artaxerxes are not names. They say they are titles. Okay, it's still two different titles given to two different people. All right, so now, letter number two, written to Artaxerxes, who is not... Ahasuerus. Now let's look at the nature, let's look at the accusation in the letter. Verse 8. Reham the chancellor and Shimshai, Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against, against what? 
Jerusalem. What was, what was the accusation against in the first letter? The second letter against Jerusalem. Now I have a theory as to why that is. You wrote to a Persian king about Judah when Daniel might be in the area and Mordecai helped save Ahasuerus' lives or his life probably not going to get a response saying, yeah, let me help you shut down the people who my son loves and who are kin to the man who saved my life. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that. So if this Ahasuerus, which I don't know why there would be 10 different Ahasuerus and the same narrative about the same people doing the same thing, but there could be. But if this Ahasuerus is the same Ahasuerus from Daniel 9, what does that mean about his relationship to Darius? Hmm? He's his father. Which means in this whole scenario that we talked about over here, where Ahasuerus had his life saved by Mordecai, and Darius is his son, and Darius is close to Daniel, then there's going to be a tight relationship here with Judah, the children of the captivity of Judah, right? So he got no response. Well, in the days of Artaxerxes, he wrote a letter, and they left out Judah. (laughs) Let's not mention the whole Judah thing. Let's just talk about Jerusalem. Maybe they'll respond if we talk about Jerusalem. Well, let's see what happens. Uh, Verse 9. Then wrote Reham the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their companions, uh, the Dinites, the Apharsathites, the Tarpalites, the Apharsites, the Archivites, the Babylonians, the, the, the Susankites, the Dehavites, and the Elamites. A lot of good Bible names there. Sarah likes it. I see Sarah smiling over there, so I think there's some names there that she probably likes. Verse 10. <laughs> and the rest of the nations... Whom the great and noble and snapper brought over. Okay, so now you've got, you've got two people who have come in. Esar Haddon and Unsnapper. These two came in and dwelt in the land while the Jews were in captivity. Gentiles who came in and then potentially intermingled with the the Jews who were there. So between these two, this is where you get your Samaritans from. Now, Esar Haddon was an Assyrian, I believe, and uh, uh, they they are the ones who took Samaria and took the northern kingdom, Israel, into captivity. So they're the ones specifically who went into Samaria, and then God kept sending, I think it was bears and lions or something to kill them. (laughs) And they finally said, okay, why does this keep happening? And God said, you go get my Levites, bring them back here, and they'll tell you how to live in my land. So so that's why when you see that woman at the well, she says, our fathers worship the way that you you do. We have the same God. We We worship the same way. Because they were taught by the Levites how to live in the promised land as Gentiles. And so God stopped killing them and let them live there. And then they intermingle with the Jews that are there. And then so they settled down in Samaria and they became the Samaritans. That's, that's where that mixed breed of people came from. But what did Jesus tell her? You worship, you know not what. <laughs> you don't have a clue what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble and snapper brought over and set in the cities of Samaria. And the rest that are on this side of the river and at such a time. This is the copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king, thy servants, the men on this side of the river and at such a time. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came, came up from thee to us are coming to Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city. You think that won't turn some heads? They said this city, king, it's rebellious and bad, and they're rebuilding it. He left out Judah, just focus on Jerusalem. 
It's rebellious and it's bad. And they're rebuilding it, king. We just want to let you know because we're concerned about you. Now, what would they have done if they let them build with them? Everything would have been fine. If you just compromise and let us build with you. But if I compromise and let you build with me, that means you get to bring your ideas in. You get to bring your morality in. You get to bring your gods in. You get to bring your defilement in. We're not doing that. I said, okay, if you won't let us, remember I told you, if you, if you try to live godly, the world's going to put you in a difficult situation. You're going to come with us. Well, no, we're not going with you. Okay, we're going to make it hard for you. All right. I understand. I'm ready for the consequences. So the rebellious in the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof, and joined the foundations. Be it known... Uh, unto the king that if this city be builded and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and so shalt, and so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. Now, because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we sent and certified the king. We just want you to know, king, we don't want you to be dishonored. We, we, we're here for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Verse 15. That search may be made in the book of the records of thy fathers, so shalt thou find the book of thy records that, and know that this city is, re, is a rebellious city and hurtful unto the kings and the provinces, that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, for which the cause was this city destroyed. We certify the king that if this city be builded again and the, the walls thereof set up, by this means thou shalt have no portion on this side of the river. Now they're going to take away everything over here if you let these people rebuild. Verse 17, then sent the king an answer. And here's where things go south. Unto Rehum the chancellor, and to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwell in Samaria, and unto the rest beyond the river, peace and at such a time. The letter which ye sent unto us hath been plainly read before me, and I commanded, and search hath been made. And it is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll, tribute, and custom was paid unto them. (laughs) We can't have that. Verse 21, Give ye now commandment to cause the men to cease. And that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the herd of the kings? Now when the copy of the king of Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem under the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. All right, now we've got a serious problem here. Hold your place here and turn to Haggai chapter 1. Let's see what they were doing. Haggai is towards the end of your Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All right, so that, that pause on the work lasted until, until when? What's the date that it gave us? The second year of King Darius, right? Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month and the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? So God shows up and says, You keep saying it's not time to build the house of God. But I see you've built nice houses for yourself. How is it time for you to build Nice, sealed, beautiful houses for you, but you've completely left the house of God desolate. You completely abandoned it. 
you hypocrites. And they keep saying, well, you know, the time has not come. Well, I see you found time to build your house. The time has not come. Time doesn't come. Time is going. Time is leaving. It's fleeting. You lose time. You're not gaining it. You don't sit around and wait. Well, when, when I store up enough time, then I'll go out and do what God asked me to do. That's not how this works. You're losing time every day. You need to be busy doing what God wants you to do. Look at verse 5. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. God said, keep, keep playing with my house. This is what's going to happen. Verse 7, thus, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now listen to what God says here. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You know what God just said? Go up the mountain, get some wood, build a box, and I'll put my name on it. Just do something. You sit around, you leave my house desolate, you're not doing anything that I asked you to do. Cyrus sent you back, he gave you the decree, he gave you the money, he gave you everything you needed to build my house, and you let a little bit of trouble by your adversaries cause you to stop. So I'm telling you, just just build a box, call it a temple, and I'll put my name on it. Just do something. Yet four months... (laughs) And then cometh harvest. No, now is the time. Look at verse 9. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. <laughs> Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste. And you run every man to his own house. Sealed houses. Nice houses. But my house lays waste. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. I don't care what you do. It's not going to work out. I put a stop to it because you leave my house desolate. I'm not going to have it. Verse 12. Praise the Lord for this. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, same people, exact same people that Cyrus turned everything over to and said, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. As soon as they got there, what did they build? What did they build right after that? The foundation. And they said, you know, this, you know it's, this is too hard. These people are being mean to us. Artaxerxes wrote a mean letter. Write a letter back and tell Artaxerxes he's in violation of the law of the Medes and Persians. You can't just alter the law. Cyrus signed the decree and put it in writing. You can't change that. So they got to work and they began to build the house like God said. Now come back to Ezra. Chapter 5, and we pick up right where we left off. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel. Now now I want you to notice the difference here and how things go. All right. Uh, Sheltiel and Joshua, the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. And at the same time came to them, Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and uh, Shethar Bosnai and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up, make up this wall? So when they're building their own house and leave the temple desolate, Who's bothering them? The moment they start rebuilding the temple, what happens? If you're going to do something for God, the world's going to notice and they're going to come knocking on your door. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Who told you you could do that? 
You can't do that. Who gave you permission? Well, we want to do it with you. Oh, we can't do it with you? Well, then we're going to stop you. The moment they began, they left off, they're convicted by the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. We got our nice houses. We spent plenty of money on us and time on us and labor on us, but we did nothing to serve God. That is the standard condition of of the Christian world today. God needs to make me happy, rich, and healthy. I'm not doing anything for him, but he better do a lot for me. That's not how it works. And then when somebody gets under conviction and they decide, I want to break out of this broken form of Christianity that that is impotent and does nothing, and they start trying to do something for God, then the world comes along and starts, starts, what are you doing? Don't you see all those other Christians? They, they, They have no problem with this. You can do it too. Those other Christians don't do what you're doing. Why don't you stop this? It's inevitable. As soon as you do something for God, people are going to come along. Verse 3. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor, on this side of the river, Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions, and said unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them, After this manner, What are the names of, of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease. Well, why couldn't they cause them to cease the last time? Last time they came and made them cease by force. This time they come and said, we're going to make you stop. And they said, there's nothing you can do to make us stop. We will not quit. They could have done that last time and the temple would be finished already. Somewhere between Cyrus's decree and, and this point is about 15 years. They could have rebuilt that temple in that time. And in fact, if I remember correctly, I have to double check the time, but I think it takes them about four years to finish the temple. So they could have been done a long time ago. But they allowed the pressure and the trouble from the world to stop them. And they left off from serving God. You can't do that. This time they refused to give up. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not caused them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. The copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, the Afarsakites, which were on this side of the river, sent to Darius. Okay, so you have letter number three. Sent to Darius. Let's see what it says. Where was I? What verse did I leave off on? Uh, verse 7. They sent a letter unto him, wherein was written thus, Unto Darius the king, all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is, which is builded with great stones and timber, is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands." Uh, King, we need a letter. We need a reply quickly because <laughs> this is moving fast. Verse 9, then asked we the, those elders and said unto them, uh, thus, who commanded you to build this house and make up these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were, that were the chief of them. And thus they returned us answer saying, we are the servants of, of the God of heaven and earth. And build the house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. But after that, our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath. He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, see that? Who did he call Cyrus? Well, who's Darius? Well, who are the Chaldeans? All right, so you see what I mean. All right, so it, it, it looks like the structure is Cyrus's head. These guys serve under him, and at some point they're elevated to the throne as Cyrus passes off the scene. Uh, but that, I mean, you're talking about like 180 
120, 130 provinces that they have. It's massive. Their kingdoms span all the way from, from Persia, all the way across the Middle East, up into Europe. I mean, it covers a, a massive territory that one man can't govern. So he's got to have different kings in place under him. And so I think that's what's happening here. Uh, so there they call him Cyrus, king of Babylon. Uh, the same king, Cyrus, made a decree to build this house of God. And the vessels also of gold and silver in the house, uh, of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered unto, unto one whose name was Sheshbazar. Now, who is Sheshbazar? Zerubbabel. He's the governor of Judah. He's Zerubbabel, if you go and you read the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, Zerubbabel is in that genealogy. He is a descendant of the kings. He's in the lineage of Joseph, going all the way down to Jesus Christ. All right, so Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor, and said unto him, Take these vessels, go, carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in his place. Then came the same Sheshbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And since that time until now, hath it been in building. <laughs> Has it? No, they let it go to waste. But that was nice of them to say it that way. And yet it is not finished. <laughs> Verse 17. Now, therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. Now, if Cyrus made that decree and put it in writing, what does that mean? It can't be altered. And Artaxerxes made a terrible mistake. Chapter 6. Let's see what Darius says. Then Darius the king made a decree and searched Search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at uh, Ekmetha in the palace that is in the province of who? Who is Darius? What does it call him in, in um, Daniel 5 when he, takes, when he takes out Belshazzar? Darius the Median, right? So he found it. In the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. In the first year of Cyrus, the king, the same Cyrus, the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof threescore cubits, with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, and let the expenses be given out of the king's house. And also let the golden and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought unto Babylon, be restored and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, every one to his place, and place them in the house of God. Now, therefore... Okay, Darius said, I, I, I found the role. I found the decree. Now, here's what you're going to do. Now, therefore, Tatnai, governor beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai and your companions, the Farsakites, and, uh, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. Get away from it. Verse 7, let the work of this house of God alone... <laughs> Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree. What ye shall do to the elders of the Jews for the building of the house of God, that, that of the king's goods, even the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. Imagine Pastor Quinto is ready to build a church. And the president calls and says, we're going to take treasure out of the state house and send it to you so you can build your church. You just let us know what you need. That's what just happened. The king said, 
whatever tribute we receive from that side of the river, send it directly to them and let them build the, rebuild the temple. That's incredible. Why? Why would he do that? Daniel, Mordecai, and the law of the Medes and the Persians. All right, now you could say it was the law of the Medes and Persians. That's why he gave them permission to build. But why does he go this far? He doesn't just say, let let them build it and let them pay for it. (laughs) You just leave them alone, let them build it. Cyrus said to let them build it. He doesn't doesn't do that. It, It continues. Uh, tribute beyond the river, for, forthwith expenses be given unto these men that they be not hindered. Verse 9. And that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs, for the burnt offerings. Now you tell me how he knows that. How does a Gentile heathen king know that they need these animals for burnt offerings? Daniel, Mordecai, other Jews he's had interaction with. It continues. Burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the... How does he know that? How does he know that there is an appointment for the priests that they need these things? It continues. Uh, Which are at Jerusalem... Let it be given them day by day without fail. How does he know they need it daily? (laughs) Verse 10, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Verse 11, also I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hanged thereon and let his house be made. A dunghill for this. And then finally, verse 12, And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there destroy all kings and people that shall put their hand to altar and to destroy this house of God, which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. Why would he say that? If this was just, you know, Cyrus said to let them rebuild. Let them rebuild. That'd be according to the, the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be altered. But why did he go so far as to say, you're going to give them all the tribute? Uh, by the way, the priests there, they need this and this and this. They need it daily for their sacrifices. Where, how does he know that? Where's he getting all that information? Daniel, Mordecai. I think these two have had a close relationship with the Jews for some time. They've been in captivity for some time. So I believe Darius responds in this way because of his relationship with Daniel. Therefore, Daniel's testimony in Babylon, I'll pay close attention to this. Daniel's testimony in Babylon and Persia may have determined whether or not Judah could rebuild the city. What if Daniel had been a loser? What if Daniel had been a deadbeat? What if Daniel whined and complained all the time? What if Daniel was not trustworthy and not faithful and didn't have an excellent spirit? What would happen if Darius received that same letter and he said, wait a minute, Daniel's part of the children of Judah. That guy's a loser. No, shut it down. Look, just like for your family, you don't live alone. Also, for the testimony of Jesus Christ and what might be permitted by governments, if, if, a, if a president, if a governor, if a mayor, whatever, they suddenly receive a letter from somebody asking about that, that church on the hill in Chitabazi. Well, the testimony of everybody he knows that has been a part of that church is now going to come into question. Were these good people? Or they give me a headache. Are these people constantly causing problems or are these trustworthy people? And so your testimony and how you live in this life is at some point going to reflect upon the name of Jesus Christ and his people somewhere in this world. And it's going to cause it's going to cause kings, presidents, prime ministers, governors, mayors, etc. 
to say yes, give those people what they need, or to say, I can't stand those people. I can't trust them. They always have trouble. They always cause trouble. No, get them out of here. Your testimony is extremely important. When you think someone's looking and when no one's looking, your testimony is extremely important. So be very careful. All right, Daniel chapter 6. Let's try to finish the chapter. Isn't that interesting how all that ties together? All right, Daniel 6, verses 16 and 17. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. How's that for the faith of the king? He didn't say he can. He said he will. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Daniel was subject to government powers. He was cast in the den of lions. Even the king hoped Daniel's God would deliver him. But Daniel had no promise of deliverance. And yet, God went through the lion's den with him. He did not leave him alone. Uh, we, would, we, would in, it, we should enter every situation of persecution with this mentality. God can save me from this if he wants to. But if he has not promised that he would, regardless, I will remain faithful to God no matter what the temporal outcome might be. God's spiritual promises for life after this are still true and worthy of my devotion, even even in the midst of the worst of trouble here and now. Now, I hope none of us ever gets to be tested this way. I hope it never happens and it never comes even close. But when it does, or if it does, what are you going to do? Verses 18 through 23. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice. Every time I read that, that gives me chills. You know, this is not, he's not just going to see, did he make it? I mean, he is crying for Daniel with a lamentable voice. You think of the book of Lamentations, mourning. He's broken. He is hoping Daniel is alive. It sounds like when they threw the other people in that they hung out outside to hear the bones crushing. Not with Daniel. He went to his room and he just sat there and passed the night fasting, no music, no entertainment, just waiting for morning to come to hope hope Daniel will come out of there. So he cried with a lamentable lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions. That's a really long sentence to cry out with a lamentable voice. (laughs) I think I would have said, Daniel, are you there? (laughs) Not him. Daniel, servant of God, faithful servant of God, faithful servant of God who serves faithfully and faithful. But your God, who you, who you serve faithfully, able to deliver you. It's like, man, that's a long sentence just to ask, is, is he there? Is he alive? But then that answer comes back. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Man, that had to be. I mean, you honestly think about it. What a moment that must have been for the king who just did something really, really stupid. And and God preserved Daniel. And he hears Daniel call back and say, yeah, I'm fine. Just been hanging out with the lions all night. (laughs) Could you get me out? (laughs) Can I go now? Uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting, but I don't want to be here anymore. (laughs) Um, Verse 22. I have a picture of me. Uh, I'm sitting on a. Uh, so I, I was in Thailand. I was in uh, Phuket, Thailand, and I went to the zoo. And the zoo there is wild. <laughs> I mean, you're walking down 
the, the path and a, an elephant passes by and you're like, you know, an elephant goes walking by. And it's like, you don't have a cage or something? <laughs> like, what are you doing here where, where we walk? And so you keep going and you turn the corner and I look down and there's two men sitting on a couch with an orangutan watching TV. I mean, they're just sitting there. The orangutan's got his arms around them, and they're just all looking at the TV. And they're just, there's no cage. They're just sitting there hanging out. It's like, is this what you people do all day? <laughs> what, what is, and then you go around another corner, and a guy comes out with a boa constrictor. He's like, oh, you want to hold it? No, I don't want to hold it. I want you to put it in a cage. Get it away from me. What, do you want to touch it? No, I don't want to touch it. It's a snake. Get it away from me. I, I'm... I have no interest in that. What to, I, I, don't you want to say you held a snake? No, I don't want to say that. <laughs> Why would I want to say that? Well, at least you got to. No, I don't understand how that is a privileged thing that I got to do. <laughs> that thing could latch on to me and crush me. And there's nothing you could do about it. Uh, so, no, I'm not interested. And then so I'm, I was with another guy and we went walk around the corner. And there's a short little Thai man. It was a real high-pitched voice, and he comes out. He's like, you come take picture. Come take picture. And I was like, of what? And we look over, and there's a, a circular cement pad about this big, and a, a tiger is chained to it. His head is about this big. It was huge. A Bengal tiger. And he's like, you come take picture. And I was like, and, and I look at the guy, and he's missing an arm. <laughs> I think, where did your arm go? <laughs> Is it in that tiger? <laughs> and so I'm joking with the guy with me. I was like, if you take a picture, I'll take a picture. He goes over to take a picture. I was like, no, don't. You're stupid. Don't do that. So he goes over and he goes to take a picture. And the little Thai guy pushes him on top of the tiger. He falls on the tiger and his face he was a really white guy. His face turned blood red. And he's sitting there like next to the tiger. And this tiger's right here. Like his, his head is huge. If that tiger just turned and took a bite, half that man's body would be gone. And so he's sitting there. And so the guy takes a picture, and this is his face. He's like, in the picture. And I was like, that, that's what you paid for. You paid to have that picture. And so the guy's like, okay, it's your turn. I was like, all right, you. Go stand over there. Get away from the tiger. You don't have an arm. You just pushed him on a tiger. Get away. And so I went around behind the tiger, and it's chained to the thing. So I went around behind him, and I sat down on the concrete, and I eased my arm on his back, and his head is up there, so he can't. So if he moves, I can get out of the way quickly. And so I put my arm on him. And the little Thai guy, he, he goes over and he does something at a computer or whatever, and it takes a picture. He yelled something, and the tiger roars. His mouth comes, his mouth wide open is like this. In the picture, you see my arm is no longer on him because I am running. <laughs> but he took it fast enough that it looks like I'm sitting there. The picture started out, my arm was, was on his back like this. And I'm sitting down, and I'm, I'm just waiting. As soon as he takes a picture, I'm moving. But in the picture, my arm is like this because I'm running away from him. And, um, you know, I, can you imagine Daniel in, just hanging out in the den? And there's like five, six, seven, ten lions just hanging out right there. And they don't touch him all night. I mean, was, did an angel show up and tell him? Did he know? Or did he just go in? And he's like, like they're just sleeping. <laughs> None of them are moving. And so I guess I'll just hang out here until they decide to come eat me. And then they never came and ate him. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, I think he knew because he says later, God stopped. The, and Hebrews 11 says that God stopped the mouth of lions. It's interesting. The Bible, the Bible, you know, it compares Jesus to a lion, and uh, the Bible says of a lion, it backeth not, it backeth not down for any. There's a great video of a lion. Um, we don't have time for any of this. We got to hurry. But um, there's a great video of a lion. I think it's on the Nile River, and he's backing down a crocodile back into the water. The, the lions have killed something. The crocodile is trying to come and take it. And a male lion walks up 
and gets right in the crocodile's face. And the crocodile snaps at him a few times, and he does not back down. The crocodile's like, <laughs> he just backs into the water and, and walks away <laughs> or swims away. So anyway, so he cried with a lamentable voice. Was a st- um, This king truly loved Daniel. My sentence here got all me- messed up. That's what I'm pausing at here. But this king truly loved Daniel. He was ashamed of the senseless situation he had caused through pride and flattery. The king ran to the den uh, with a certain measure of faith, believing that Daniel's God could deliver him. Hebrews 11 says that God stopped the mouths of lions. That is, until the men who manipulated the law were thrown inside. You know they had to be hoping, if they didn't eat Daniel, (laughs) maybe we'll be okay. (laughs) Uh, No, sorry, it's not going to work out that way for you. Suddenly, the lion's typical nature returned in full force. When Daniel was moved, removed from the den the following day, he was freed from the law. Isn't that interesting? The law of the Medes and Persians was altereth not. Daniel was set free from that law when he made it through this situation. It's just an interesting comparison. All right, let's read all the way down to the end. We'll finish here, verse 24, all the way to 28. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came to at the bottom of the den. As soon as they, so it sounds like, like this den, like they're kind of standing over it. And so you throw things down inside. And so it sounds like they threw them in. And as soon as they hit the bottom of the den, the lions were just tearing them apart. I know that doesn't sound nice, but, you know, Uh, verse 25, the king, then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian, which that repeats exactly what we read in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel going all the way to Cyrus the Persian. All right. Um, That last part, pretty self-explanatory. The wrong these men committed caused great trouble for themselves and for their families. Um, The trouble and the hardship... That, that are the result of your decisions will be felt by many. The consequences of your actions impact more than yourself. You better think, think it through before you do something stupid. The passage ends with, with, a, a, Nebuchadnezzar, with, a, type of, with a Nebuchadnezzar type of con, uh, conversion. The king makes a very similar decree as the Babylonian king. The times of the Gentiles are characterized by this back-and-forth battle to honor God or deify man. Nebuchadnezzar set up his golden image. Darius was honored with prayer over all gods, including the living God. This will end with the Antichrist setting himself up as God. So it's going to be a back and forth battle all the way through. All right, let's run through this list. If someone will remind me, I will put all my notes that I have so far in the WhatsApp group so you can make sure you have access to it. Uh, But there are a lot of notes on Daniel in chapter 6. So we'll go through this quickly. It's going to be fast. Just write what you can and get the rest later from the audio or from from the notes, the PDF files. Daniel 6.2, Daniel is made the the, the chief president. Daniel 6.3, this Daniel is preferred above the presidents and the princes because he has an excellent spirit. 6.4, then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel. They, they were trying to take him out. 
Daniel 6, 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The only thing they could use against him was his faithfulness to his God. 6.10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day. Knowing the decree had been signed, he continued to pray to his God. Verse 11, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication. Daniel was right where they knew he would be, praying to his God. Verse 13, Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee. That's where they break the news to Darius. Verse 14, Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, not with Daniel, not that he broken the law. He finally realizes what a dumb thing he did, and, and so he's sore displeased with himself. Verse 16, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. And uh, the king knew that, that God would, would preserve him. Somehow he knew that. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. The king uh, sealed it with a signet. And with the signet of his lords, and the purpose might be changed concerning might not be changed concerning Daniel. Verse twenty. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee? So the king comes to check on him. Verse twenty one. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Verse twenty three. Then was the king exceeding glad. So he was happy Daniel was spared. Verse 24, And the king commanded that they brought those men which had accused Daniel. So now he's going to deal with those men who manipulated him into signing this foolish decree. Verse 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. So here we have that. Nebuchadnezzar-type conversion, where they say great things about God, but don't mean any of it. Verse 27, He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28, So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.